Welcome to True Crime 101 with Murder Friends, the podcast where three friends from three different countries talk about murder. My name's Hannah and I'm British. Hi, I'm Anna and I'm American. I'm Alana and I'm Canadian. In addition to our longer episodes, True Crime 101 talks you through key true crime cases and theories. As a bit of a disclaimer, I've been really unwell, so I sound a bit gravelly and a bit gross. So, Sorry, I almost just said I was Canadian. <laughs> There's I forgot. I meant to turn off and I don't even who am I? I have to really think about it when I do it because it's like when you get put on the spot, you're like, oh my god, what is my name and where am I from? <laughs> yeah. And exactly. I think also because it's in the wrong order. Yeah. Yeah. As well. It's just funny. Um so this week I want to talk about or have you heard about the McDonald triad? <gasps> no. no. I think you probably have. But it's the, that's the, the name of it. Oh, so. you know, I think I do know. I think I do know what it is, but not um, lots about it. Actually, I do, I think so. Yeah. Cool. As always, my sources came from a paper by Parfit and Alain, Psychology Today and Wikipedia. Full links are on our website, so do go and check that out, murderfriends.com. So I'm going to take you back to 1963, the swinging 60s. Psychiatrist J.M. McDonald has a paper, The Threat to Kill, published in the American Journal of Psychiatry. This paper proposes that three factors, or a combination of any two of these factors, present in children or the childhood, could predict that that person could develop tendencies that were violent or predatory behaviour. So this includes, but not limited to, homicidal tendencies and or sexually predatory behaviour. So he argued that if you did two of three, two or three of these things as a kid, you're more likely to commit violent or predatory crimes as an adult. So the triad is sometimes called the triad of sociopathy or the homicidal triad and it highlights three key behaviours, cruelty to animals, fire setting or an obsession with fire setting and persistent bedwetting. Ring your bells? Yes, now yeah. I know, yeah. It took me a minute but then I kind of, I don't know a lot about it or the history of it but yeah, I kind of... I remember, I mean, they talk about those sort of key things in a lot of the different like true crime stuff but I didn't realise that was from the 60s. Yeah. Oh, dang. That's problematic in itself, but we'll get into that in a minute. Oh, God. So McDonald's study on this triad involved taking data from 48 psychotic patients and 52 non-psychotic patients, all of whom had threatened to kill someone. The participants were roughly equal in terms of male and female, and the ages ranged from 11 to 83. So I'll talk about the study a bit more later, but I wanted to highlight that his theory did come from a study. And it wasn't just a theory that he just pulled out of the air. So I thought it'd be helpful if we go through each of the factors of the triad in turn. So the first one is cruelty to animals. And there are a number of theories as to why animal abuse in childhood occurs. But realistically, there's not one overriding factor. Some believe it's a coping mechanism to vent frustration against those they cannot harm. So let's say a child is excessively humiliated by a primary caregiver and they can't retaliate against that person. So they'd seek something that's vulnerable or weak to exert control over or harm, like an animal. A 2003 piece of research by McClellan noted that out of 45 violent male inmates um, that were part of this, this study, 56 of, six, 56% of them sorry, admitted to animal cruelty in their childhood. Further, those who did undertake acts of abuse against animals were more often the victims of parental abuse than those who didn't. Oh, God, yeah. that's sad. Yeah, yeah. so um, Alan Brantley, an FBI special agent, believed that killing animals is sometimes a rehearsal for killing humans. And other studies show that those who went on to kill humans used the same methods for killing both their human and animal victims. God. 
Never thought about it like that way before. I know. It's, it's such a bummer for the new year, but I'm, I'm really sorry. If anything, <laughs> yeah, happy worse. 2020. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> I you know, know I know that yeah. animal cruelty is a thing, but I thought it was like more simple than that. Like I thought, I, mean, I thought it's more broad than that. That's what I meant. But actually that mm. they think it's like actually correlated to how they might hurt their vi- future victims as well. Yeah. It's, it's I was reading quite a lot about it. I mean, this is kind of like the the abridged version, but the, there's a lot more research into it, which is um, interesting. So um, we'll move on to fire setting. According to Singer and Hensley's 2004 paper, fire setting or arson is often considered to be one of the first things children do to release aggression. Again, like the first point we made about cruelty to animals, is often a coping mechanism for being humiliated. It's all about control. Mm. It's really strange. And bedwetting. Bedwetting is common in children, but after the age of five, persistent, unintentional bedwetting during sleep is called uranesis. Whilst the bedwetting itself may not be the cause of any homicidal tendencies in adulthood, we could, again, kind of link this to humiliation. So here's a child who's potentially being humiliated as a result of something they have absolutely no control over. So there's clearly been great interest in these topics and as a result there's been a number of studies and a number of studies on certain aspects of those factors. But like anything in social science, and this is a social, the McDonald triad is a social science theory, there's always a rebuttal and there's always an argument and there's always a flaw. And the number one flaw comes from McDonald's own study. That study was flawed. So the 100 participants that he used isn't, that isn't necessarily like a terrible size for a, a sample, like sample size. And the demographic of that group wasn't terrible either. You know, he used like half men and women. He had a really wide age range. But for this kind of subject and for this kind of study, it could be argued that that group was too small and not really representative of the general population at large. Something else that we have to take into account when it comes to McDonald's study is that data comes in two forms. So you have quantitative data, I really struggled saying that, sorry, Um, (laughs) which is quantity-based information that's measurable. So numbers, percentages, how many packets of Jaffa cakes were sold in the last two weeks, that kind of thing. And then qualitative data. Um, And that comes in the form of anything that isn't quantitative, really. So stories, case notes, transcripts, police interviews, that, that kind of thing. McDonald's data for his study came from observation in a clinical setting which is a really artificially created environment and that could really alter the value of any data and even he recognized that there was no predictive value in his own study jeez yeah which is bananas further and probably the most important part of this is that everyone in his study hadn't actually hurt anyone so how is how was this like became What's the, yeah, I don't really get it now. it's social science and you can... Because you can Social science is really weird in that you can kind of argue anything. Right. As long as you're, you know, you can you can make an argument about anything. Well, I see what you're saying. But then you're kind of like, well, how did this become a thing? If like, or have they actually gone back now in like actual serial killers and to see if they had all these things or two of these things? Oh, we're going to get to that bit. Okay, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> Yeah, so the, the study, they hadn't actually harmed anyone, they just threatened to harm someone, okay. which is, you know, re- that's not really, that data's kind of null, you'd think. So the triad's pretty prolific, but 
I, I kind of wanted to know, like, how did it gain so much momentum, like you've asked? I mean, I said at the beginning, the 1960s, when it wasn't exactly the cutting edge of behavioural science. But do the names John Douglas, Robert Ressler and Anne Burgess mean anything to you? Yes. Isn't Douglas the mine hunter guy? Yeah, I was going to say the mine hunters. Yeah. Yeah, their fictional counterparts, Holden Ford, Bill Tench and Wendy Carr. They claimed um, substantial evidence to support the McDonald theory, uh, the McDonald triad and McDonald in their work profiling serial killers as part of the FBI's behavioral science unit for psychological profiling. We know those characters from Mind Hunter, which was obviously based on a series of real, like, real events. We reviewed season two of Mindhunter in episode five. Yeah, episode yes. five. <laughs> so that's one of the main reasons why it became so so prolific and it gained so much momentum because these quite like big players in behavioural science at that time said, oh, you know, it, it's true and we've got all this evidence, you know, from from profiling all these serial killers. So he was on to something originally. Yeah. There is something there. Yeah, yeah, but the 1960s, as I said, it wasn't like behavioural science was kind of brand new, and so it's not that they were it's not that they were wrong in taking leads from McDonald. It's just that realistically, after a lot more research, it's not really true. Really, really. So yeah, so despite evidence to to the contrary and flaws in McDonald's own initial study, it didn't stop teams of psychiatrists couple a couple of year couple of years later testing this theory on other offenders so there was one study where they had 84 offenders who were at the time imprisoned 53 of them were not aggressive yet 31 were considered to be aggressive out of the violent offenders it was noted that three quarters of them had one or two of the factors of the triad and 45 percent of those 31 had all three but again, this study is so small and it was designed so poorly. And they decided, oh, well, you know, if the study's small and it was designed poorly, then we'll we'll do another study and we'll make it bigger. So we'll have a bigger group and we'll have tighter controls on all of the variables within the within the experiment as such. And basically that large group and the tighter controls couldn't produce the same results. In fact, their results didn't even come close. That's very yeah. interesting. I always thought that was like a, uh, a not like a sure thing, but a mm. like solid because you hear so much about it. Exactly. Yeah, you hear about it all the time. So there's um, a review of evidence in in a lot in, in social science. A lot you have like um, papers that simply review all previous evidence. And in 2018, there was a paper by Path and Allen called Not the Sum of Its Parts, a critical review of the McDonald triad. So they tried to explore how valid the triad is and they conducted this huge review of all the information available and they came to like three main conclusions. And they are, the first one is, any one of the factors could predict violent future offending, but it's very rare to find all three in one subject. Uh, The second one is evidence of the factors would point to a home environment that could be considered to be dysfunctional or a child having poor coping strategies. This means that there could be other factors at play that could account for violent behaviour behavior being exhibited in adulthood. And the third point was further research on this theory needs to take place with strict, rigorous controls to establish the validity. So basically what they're saying is, is rare you'll find all three in one person. If the factors do exist, it could mean other things are happening in that child's mm. life. There seems like there could be a better, like 
a more direct thing to look for, right? Not so much the those are symptoms of something, right? So like, why mm. don't we just go to right to the point of like child abuse or you know certain violent parents, exactly, you know, yeah, yeah, drug addict or alcoholic parent, you know what I mean? I don't know. Rather than sort of that, those are really specific things, aren't they? Yeah, really, really yeah. specific. Yeah. So there's a really good article on psychology today from um, written by a, a doctor called Dr. Catherine Ramsland. And she effectively comes to the conclusion that we should move away from stating outright that evidence of the triad or two factors of the triad is indicative of someone becoming a future serial killer. I mean, you see it a lot in popular culture, don't you? Like yeah. you see it in like, you know, fiction crime novels, fiction, mm. not nonfiction. <laughs> Like CSI episodes. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, Criminal Minds. Yeah, yeah. you set you see fires as a child and you think, oh, shit, like, yeah. <laughs> he done it. Um, <laughs> so instead, Catherine Ramsland, Dr. Catherine Ramsland says, instead we should be looking at evidence of factors indicating a child who may be stressed or one that has poor coping mechanisms or developmental disabilities who need guidance and attention. Wikipedia also says... Not that you should put all your faith in Wikipedia, <laughs> but it argues that childhood experience of parental neglect, brutality or abuse are more likely to affect whether someone's more violent in adulthood than the factors associated within this triad effectively. Yeah. So it looks to me like after researching that the behaviours that are described in the triad are mechanisms for coping with yeah. a less than stable home life. Agreed. I mean, but that's pretty like common sense obviously if you're gonna if you have a dysfunctional childhood chances are you may not be a perfectly functioning adult it's pretty like exactly. simple which we all kind of already know mm. so yeah you're right i think and we're definitely not saying that if you had a you know a bad childhood that you're going to be a, a serial killer no exactly but it's definitely something you hear about it and up. like a lot of you know when you hear the serial killer like stories about serial, so like all like lots of podcasts do um where they talk about the serial killer like big deep dives and then they go back to their mm. childhood and the of a big common denominator I would say not in all of them but quite a lot of them is that they've had some sort of you know um trauma in childhood with like their parents or yeah yeah definitely but you do hear about it like you hear about it a lot and it really got me thinking about how like prevalent it is really you know what if someone got arrested um for murder and the police go and talk to their parents, like the suspect's parents. And their mum pipes up with, oh, yeah, he had a terrible childhood, wet the bed till he was 19 and killed the family cat once. You know, what are those police officers or those, like, police psychologists going to think? Yeah. Mm. They're going to think huge red flags, effectively. Especially if the police officers... are worrying. Are, like, I thought it was, like, a hard and fast rule, like Alana said. Like, mm -hmm. I thought that was, like, a thing. Like, it's definite. I did, too, yeah. That's why yeah. I wanted to research it, because I thought it would be, like, really interesting to yeah. be, like, oh, these are yeah, definite definitely. things that happen. But, yeah, I don't know. It turns out not. Turns it out does, not. like like Anna was saying, it's almost more like those things are symptoms of something else, right? So, mm. while there may be murderers who did harm animals as a child, but maybe that's because their home life was, you know, traumatic and abusive and whatever, and it would make more sense to look at that rather than, well, how does the child cope with that and that kind yeah. of stuff. But. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think they're more kind of like symptoms of a shitty childhood than the cause of... Than the, yeah. the than starting the point yeah. itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's all I, I got. That's so interesting. I 100% thought that was like a yeah. thing that people went by. Yeah, I thought it was like a gospel Same. thing. Well done, because I really yeah, didn't know that idea. much about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was like, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll research it because it 
sort of it popped up on something and um it sounded really interesting and then as I was reading like more and more about it I was like oh shit this isn't this isn't right <laughs> but, you know it could be wrong social science there's always an argument yeah well, I think that's all we have for today. If you want to get in contact, um, you can visit our website at murderfriends.com. Send us an email. If you have any good ideas for True Crime 101 that you want to know about, murderfriendspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, murderfriendspod. Twitter is murderfriendspd. And also, we're on YouTube, and you can follow us there. Or subscribe to our channel, and we do release monthly videos um as well as you can get our podcast feed on the youtube as well all right thanks see you next time bye Bye.